I'd like to say good morning. Glad to see everyone here. And we're certainly glad, as Matt mentioned, that we're getting into some uh, better weather than <laughs> we've seen. So, um, For those who are uh, guests here today, or it's been the first time to be here in a few weeks, we're in the middle of a uh, series of uh, what we're calling the stories of the Bible. And um, this is going to be our third week, and so uh, the last two weeks we have touched on, uh, just beginning in, in Genesis 1, uh, we begin with the beginning of the Bible, this will be a 10-part series. Uh, we spent time in talking to the angel of fathers, and uh, we know there's three ages, and, and we will today begin that second age of uh, the disp dispensation. We know that uh, initially God spoke in his first age of fathers to the, to, uh, the fathers, the, like Noah and Abraham, and um, that's just the way it was for 2,500 years. And today we're beginning what we would consider that uh, age of Moses. It transitions from a family religion into a national religion. And so today and the next week we'll be uh, spending time in, in uh, what we would call the mosaical age uh, or uh, where the people stumbled the law of Moses. And then after next week we'll move into the age of Christ and uh, that law will be in, um, it's the law we currently uh, Ultimately, when we get into the age of Christ, that's the law we live in today where uh, we know that uh, that's the life we lived that came when Jesus came to this life, uh, lived in death and resurrection. It's the age we live in through the end of eternity until Christ comes back. And then when he comes back, we as his faithful will be received into heaven and this earth will no longer be. And um, this earth will be destroyed. And so we'll let that uh, happen in the next couple of weeks. But you'll be, we'll be continuing to see this uh, map as we go through the studies. But what we know is, uh, at the top you'll see, he is on his way. Jesus is coming. And there will be a point here uh, when we get in our study when Jesus finally arrives. Uh, but today we're going to specifically spend uh, some time talking about the age of Moses. Uh, at this point... Uh, and, and we'll do this again through next week. And when we come to the conclusion next week, we will approximately cover 4,000 years, um, best as we can tell, as we understand it. And again, we know that Jesus uh, is coming, and that's what we're heading to. So we're going to get, begin uh, and pick up with uh, where we left off, and that was in Exodus 19. The people were at the base of the mountain. Um, and so um, in Exodus 19, God had just told Moses, don't let the people come up on this mountain. Do not let him come see me or see the Lord or perish and die. And so we're going to begin in uh, the study with Exodus 20. Uh, we read, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And the, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let, let not God speak with us, lest we die. So, uh, <laughs> again, <clears throat> Moses had set boundaries at the base of the mountain and to keep people, to keep it holy, to keep people from coming up. And roughly what people would respond is, hey, we heard the message. We, we don't want to go up and, uh, and uh, hear from God directly. You, you go talk to God, uh, and then you come back and speak with us and we'll hear, but we don't want to die. We heard the message. Well, what do you think... Uh, and so he came back, as, of course, we know he would share the words with them. Um, 
and what we know as the Ten Commandments. It's what we know he came back and shared. It's going to be the skeleton of, of kind of the old law. And so, uh, as we go through these, we clearly can see, and I'm sorry, I'm struggling a little bit with some of that <laughs> messaging back through, so I mean, my eyes are a little, a little tricky today. So, um, what we know is these are Ten Commandments. We've heard them from life. Probably as a child, we even began to, uh, to memorize them uh, at some point. But these are the basics. We're all familiar with these. Uh, Thou shalt have no other God before me. No other God. He wanted to have one and only one only God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Uh, don't worship any idols. Don't worship other things. You, you'll worship me. You'll have nothing that you set before me other, other than me myself. If, uh, if you've gone to any other countries, um, I've had the uh, privilege of going to some other countries, you step into a country like India, you will see idols beyond measure. Uh, I think they say they have some 80, 100,000 idols that they would recognize through Hinduism. Uh, Buddhists would have idols that they would set. Uh, specifically, those were some of the types of things. And I could, uh, we could keep you here all afternoon talking about what people uh, across other countries worship as an idol or a graven image. He was telling them not to do that. Uh, not to take his name, name in vain. Uh, that's when I tell the name of the Lord God, uh, thy God in vain. We still hear people doing that today. Uh, but even back in the old law, he, he told them, don't take his name in vain. <clears throat> he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Today, we remember uh, and we uh, worship on the first day of the week. And we'll talk about that transition at some point. Um, honor thy father and mother. He wanted our, our parents to be a blessings to us, and we were to be a blessings to, to, uh, to our, our parents. We were to honor our, our, our parents. Thou shalt not kill. You know, this one's one that I, I uh, over time, I've run into some people that really still struggle with this. They look back on the old commandment, the, these original Ten Commandments, and for some reason, there are people that even in today's world struggle with this. Uh, they'll say they just believe the law is thou shalt not kill. I like to hunt. Does that mean I can't kill birds of the air, animals on the ground? Would that mean you couldn't, and today, be a Christian and serve in the military or, or serve as a police officer? Again, I don't want to get into uh, some of the differences of these original commandments today, but, but uh, people still try to relate back to this whole law and they'll bring forward into this, and we know that, that certainly uh, we believe that there's a just cause to kill uh, this would not apply, and that was not what God was talking about here. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, lie or, bear, or, or cause something against a neighbor, bear false witness against a neighbor, or to covet and desire uh, things of, of others. So these were the original ten uh, commandments that he brought back. <clears throat> and what we know is, it's kind of broken into two categories, right? The first four are what we would consider um, God's relationship with man, right? Don't serve other gods. Don't worship other idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Things that specifically dealt with man's relationship with God. As you see on the other side, we, we understand that the next six were man's relationship with man. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And so, people want to obey and uh, reasonably, when they saw, heard these commandments, people wanted to obey God, but they, they said, you know, what are, the, 
What are the two greatest of these commands? Or what are the greatest of these commands? Well, we read and we flip back over into the New Testament, and we find an answer uh, that roughly responds to the question that people were asking. You shall love the, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two prophets, or on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> so, we see that here the first and greatest command. Um, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That seems, still seems very applicable today, doesn't it? The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're told to do these things. <clears throat> so we know these as the great commands. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. And so these came kind of the basis uh, of the law. So remember the people that said, hey, we don't want to hear from God directly. We want you to tell people what 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 all those uh, what God was telling you. And so over time, they stayed uh, uh, there for approximately a year. And Moses would go up on the mountain, and he would speak with God. He'd come back down, and he would deliver the things that he had heard from God. And uh, they would uh, he would go back and forth doing this, and bring back and speak to the people. Um, what we would say as far as uh, the commandment of the Old, uh, the Old Testament law. And so, uh, with that, um, sorry, I got a little bit ahead there. Uh, so with that, uh, we say, we, I'm sorry, I think I may have backed up there just a second. <laughs> so, as part of, part of these uh, Old, Old Testament laws, um, just touch on a few of them, but they, were awkward, they would be awkward to us today, right? You had uh, where, maybe I, yeah, sorry, I did jump ahead. <laughs> I lost them a lot. There's a difference in this and the written. Uh, so um, one of the things that we read here is that we're trying to understand what the old law was. Because there were some things, uh, don't cut you. If, if a man had a beard, he had to cut it straight. If you built a house, there were times we had to have a, a railing around the roof. Uh, there were certain things you could and could not do on the, on the Sabbath. And... Um, you couldn't go pick up sticks, for example. You couldn't have travel more than seven-tenths of a mile. And so the people were questioning uh, uh, what all these things meant. Here we read in Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever things are written for, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So that, that was uh, some of the things that we intended to have. We... As we go through these lessons, one of the basic things we're looking for is there's a time that we're trying to get from this. We are trying to understand that we might have hope, that we will have hope in all this understanding of these uh, things that we're studying. So, and we'll learn some more about that in, the, in future studies. All right, so <clears throat> Romans 11 and, and 22 talks about, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. Okay? <clears throat> okay, I'm going to step down here just a little bit. My eyes <laughs> are struggling here. So, uh, again, Paul tells us to look at God with each. So, says, therefore, consider the goodness and said of God on those who felt severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. 
And I'm going to jump over back in some of my notes here because I just don't know that my eyes are going to hang with me uh, this morning. So, <clears throat> apologize for that. <coughs> One of the things we see when we talk about these words that we see introduced, the goodness and severity, are some people only want to see the goodness in things, right? Others only want to see severity in things. And so as we go through some of these stories in the Bible as, and as we approach on, on this topic here of, of uh, when, when people ask me what does all this mean, and we see this whole issue of goodness and severity uh, coming to light between people, um, again, some people only wanted to see the goodness, others only wanted to see the severity. And I would say today that still applies. There are some people you can talk to, they're the bubble of life. That all they want to see is the positive things in life. They see the goodness of things in life. Then there's others, they tend to trend toward the next, seeing the negative things in life. You know, as Christians, I would say we typically fall into the category of we want to see the good things. We see all the good things that God does for us in life and the goodness that follows, the love that he provides. Frankly, a lot of times non-Christians tend to lean towards looking at the severity of God. Uh, oh, you Christians, you have all these harsh rules to follow. You've got to go to church every Sunday. You've got to go obey these rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. And so they tend to categorize uh, uh, the things of God, the, the commandments of God as, as approaching the severity. They believe as Christians we have too many restrictions um, versus living life as we would want to live it. So, as Christians, we can understand and we can see the, the goodness and the blessings that come and through following what God has uh, told us to do and doing those things that he has asked for us. So, as we go through this study, we're going to break in uh, a time and look at, at some of these categories because tell, uh, Paul tells us to consider both. All right? So let's jump back into the uh, Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 11, 26, and 20, uh, 26 through 28, we read, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside away from the way which I command you today. So now we take this goodness uh, and severity and then we, we tie it with two other words that we see as a blessing uh, and a curse. You know when God is crossed, he becomes angry. We see that throughout the scriptures. Why? Because of, of, of when, we see, when he sees people being disobedient, he becomes uh, frustrated with that. And we see, coming out of that, his severity. But when God, on the other hand, when God is loved and served through our hearing and believing and obedience and faith, we see his goodness. And that's what we would see here as his blessing. That's what he's saying. Hey, if you obey the command of the Lord that, uh, that I've given you, you're going to see a blessing. When you do those things that go oppose, oppose the commandments that I've given to, you're going to see a response of the curse. And so it's very simple. The formula would be disobedience. With disobedience, we're going to receive severity or the curse. With obedience, we're going to receive goodness uh, or the blessing.
In fact, I would tell you we can even see um, the, the strongest of the goodness and the blessings and the strongest of the severity or the curse. So we're going to look at some examples of God's goodness, uh, the blessings he gave people through the hearing and again obedience, uh, the belief and faith and obedience. And we're also going to uh, talk briefly about uh, God's severity and his anger and the curse he delivered because of their disobedience. So as we go through, and we of course know we're under this law of Moses, uh, it covers down through these chapters. Certainly we're not going to be able to, uh, uh, to go through many stories. You know, sitting here today, you say, gosh, this is a 10-part series. Normally this might be considered a five-part series. Um, uh, we're breaking it into 10 parts. We're on the third part, and you're going, my goodness, we're in the book of Exodus. <laughs> I promise you by the end of uh, next week, we'll be at the end of the book of Malachi. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, uh, but, but the parts we're primarily studying uh, in, these next, in this next uh, week or so will be with, with uh, primarily found in the Old Testament. But, uh, so there's tra- several chapters of stories. Uh, roughly, it resides in there. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get that. Uh, blessings or punishment. So let's look at some of the examples. Uh, remember this is, again, relating uh, as it relates to the people living under the, the law of Moses. <coughs> Do you recognize this? <laughs> um, we know as we go through this story, uh, for the next several years, the, uh, the people following under the law would, would um, they were traveling, they'd set up this tabernacle at every place they uh, stopped along the way. And, and what we're seeing here is a depiction of a, a tabernacle or a tent that they were set up to worship God. Anybody ever been to Eureka Springs, Arkansas? There's a thing called the Passion Play up there. They also, over time, uh, we've been to that, our family's been to that uh, several times. There's also a place up there now they have set up a fairly, what we consider a fairly good replica of the tabernacle and the tent that you can go through and tour and get an understanding of the scale and um, at least uh, as best as, as could be determined. <coughs> so. Uh, we see that uh, it was roughly a tent, it was set up, and again, we'll talk about some of the elements because this is one, uh, a key component as, as it relates to one of the stories. The Ark of the Covenant, uh, uh, Covenant, we know, inside this tabernacle was what was considered a holy place, and then what we also know is the most holy place uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The Ark of the Covenant had held the Ten Commandments at Aaron's Rod, the bowl of manna. And we know that um, it is in the back, holy place, the most holy place we know is, was bound with four, uh, two rods, two poles, roughly rings on those corners, and that was so that uh, it could be moved by four men. Remember one of the components of this was no uh, hand was to touch it. Uh, that, that will come up in some future studies. But if we think about this Ark of the Covenant, uh, we've all probably seen the movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what they were looking for, right? <laughs> this is what the big challenge was. Uh, it had cherubs sitting on top and angels. And so uh, a rough depiction here of what was described. Within the holy place, uh, it had various things. Incense, we know, uh, uh, had to be burned uh, exactly to the specifications that God had given. There was candlesticks with seven tips to it. Uh, outside, it was labor to wash hands uh, before they could 
uh, wash their hands and feet, but before they could go in and uh, offer up burnt sacrifices. And so with this, there was a lot of rules that came into how the people were to set up and to utilize this tabernacle. One of the things we know, and again, we won't get into all of them, but one of the things we know God had told the people uh, is to keep the Levites, to keep the incense burning all the time. And that would be so that the smoke would go up uh, before God, like the prayers of the people. And then once a year, we know that the rabbi would go in <coughs> and into the most holy place, and he would sprinkle blood on that, and that would be offered for the forgiveness of sins on an annual basis. And one of the things specific to this, uh, to this incense we, said, we know is God said, when you light the fire, do it with the coals of the burnt offering. Leviticus 10.1 Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and, uh, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Okay? So we just talked about God had given them a specific, uh, specific way that they were to light the incense, uh, and it was to be done uh, by lighting the coals. Uh, being used in the coals of fire. <clears throat> Here we read about two guys that God kills for their sin. So the first thing when we read, we read and the law of Moses said, hey, go get the fire from the incense for the altar of burnt offering. Uh, do it specifically like this. We read this chat, we read this verse, and it says, the sons of Aaron took a censer and put a fire in it, put incense on it, offered profane fire before the Lord. Not a lot of detail to that. We don't know exactly what was done wrong, but clearly what we know is, because the later part of the verse, they did it in a manner in which he had not commanded them. Um, so we don't know what it was that they did, but it wasn't what God told them to do. So based on what we just talked about a while ago, when we talk about goodness and severity and curse and blessing, what is it in every case when we don't do what God says to do? Disobedience, right? Pretty easy. Either we obey God or we don't obey God. Well, guess what happened when they didn't obey God? They were burnt up like toast, right? God just commanded, uh, uh, sent fire, and they died before Him. All right? So that's a lesson that can be easily gleaned from this simple story. Here's Nadab and Abihu. Guess who they were? If we remember Aaron the priest, that was their dad, the high priest. Pretty important guys from a ranking standpoint, probably within this uh, group. Um, uncle Moses, right? Moses is their uncle. Pretty important uh, collaboration of characters, right? Uncle, dad, sons. They go and, and they're going to light the fire, and they did it wrong. You know, these were guys that, again, had status. They were at one point even uh, invited to go up on the mountain initially with Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel. Uh, they were able to see the reality of God, right? And so what when we read this, when we think about their relationship to their dad, to the, their uncle, what, what again can we glean from that little message there? Today we think who matters, who you are matters, right? 
because that, that's the way we live today. Who you are matters. If you're somebody, some status, it matters, right? Uh, we know people that we put on different levels of prominence. Um, that matters everywhere except to God. Because God is not a respecter of persons. Does it seem like God was impressed with the way they hit the fire? They may or may, or may not have thought they were doing God's will. It doesn't really tell us. They just said they did it in a way in which he had not commanded them to do. And I think that's important to understand because sometimes some people may think it's okay to do it this way. It's pretty close. I thought this would work. I thought this was what God wanted to do. But it wasn't. It, it, it can be a fine line in some people's mind, but it, it, regardless, if it isn't what God asked us to do, it's not what God asked us to do. And so what this says is that God saw no favor, no popularity contest. I don't care who you are. You didn't do what I asked. Um, and so we see the result. So God wasn't impressed by anything they did. He wasn't impressed by their uh, status. God doesn't care, frankly, if you're the CEO of the company or the lowest intern or even the janitor in the company. It doesn't matter. God is not a respecter of the company. Of, of uh, people. It doesn't matter who you are. God isn't impressed by our status on this life. He doesn't we, we, we get impressed by others and, oh, you've attained this and you're this. God's not impressed by that. What he requires of us is, frankly, a simple thing of he just wants you to obey his laws like everyone else. So, we go back to this and we say, well, gosh, what was it that they did wrong? Did they get this fire? You know, probably did they pick up something? They maybe stuck a stick in into the incense and, and uh, to light uh, a candlestick or something. Um, we don't know, again, what kind of fire he commanded them uh, on, on not to use, but regardless, they did it. And so, that fine line... Of, of understanding introduces a concept of the law of exclusion, right? When the law of exclusion can be, again, a simple concept or a hard concept, depends on how you want to look at it, but the law of exclusion is simply um, when God says, get it out of the altar uh, uh, for the burnt offering, that's the simple command. You then take that. That means by default, don't get it from anywhere else, right? He doesn't need to say, get it from this, and oh, by the way, don't get it from this, and don't get it from this, and don't get it from this. Uh, don't go get it from a campfire. You don't go, oh, oh I need to thank you for the clarification, God, right? Uh, sometimes we, we, we like to make things more complex than what the simple be, uh, command of God is. So by, by specifying what they were to use, by example, uh, by default, it exempted all others. I'll give you an example of, a, of a, a thing that probably many of us have done in our life. When I was a kid, it was just a different world, right? <laughs> all of us in the room that are of a certain age, you could drive seven miles away from home on your bike, right? Seven miles away from home on your bicycle. As long as you were in by the time the lights came on at 10 o'clock at night on street lamps, you were pretty good, right? Well, there was times my parents would ask us before dinner, 
on a Saturday evening or a Sunday evening, hey, go ride down to the, to the Griff's Hamburgers, and I want you to bring back a bag of 10 hamburgers, because at that time you could have for sale 10 cents a hamburger. For a dollar, we could ride down there and get 10 hamburgers. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it, Mike? Right? So when they said, hey, here's a buck, or whatever money they gave us, I need you to go ride your bike about a half mile down there, go pick up some hamburgers and come back. Did that mean that on my way back, I could stop by my friend's house for a couple of hours and hang out? Or I could go to a 7-Eleven and go get me an IC on the way back and we could vert over there? No, they were expecting dinner, right? They didn't have to tell me, go to Griff's. Now they may have at some point, go to Griff's and come right back. But the intent would have been, go to Griff's hamburgers, go buy hamburgers and come right back. They didn't have to tell us, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't go to Whataburger, and don't go to McDonald's, go to Griff's, right? Simple, simple concepts that sometimes we can overcome or make things complicated. And so uh, this law of exclusion, sometimes we want to read, just read the simple word of God. Read what he says. Don't then try to say, well, does that mean this or does that mean this? Right? So a, a clear example that how we can see this applying today is, what does that say about how we worship today? Right? This would be a big discussion point across most churches uh, that we would think of uh, across, across the world, certainly here in the Metroplex. If God tells us how he wants us to do worship, we'll probably do it a certain way, right? So with that, would you say, would we all agree it matters? Does it matter how we worship God? <clears throat> of course it does. What, is, what are some things that you can see that people have substituted for a basic command of God? And we'll, we'll start with worship, right? Five elements, as we call them, of, of worship, right? We've, we've sung this morning. We've had prayers, teaching. Here in a little bit, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to commune together. And then there's going to be a time of giving, right? I don't know what the percentage is, but I can tell you there's a high percentage of churches that will come together and at their churches and sing. And they'll have prayers. They'll have a teaching service. And then they're going to have a time of giving. Right? Very simply, they left out one thing. I don't know why. Why churches choose to not commune. Some churches choose not to commune on Sunday. But I can tell you there are a lot that have done it. I've been in several of those and through my career. You know what the usual excuse, excuse uh, uh, I won't say excuse, but the reason is we want to make it special. We only want to do it once a quarter. We're going to do it special events, Easter and Christmas, right? We want to bring, bring a highlight to that. Is that what God asks us to do? Do we see anywhere in the scripture when he talks about coming together upon the first day of the week to, to remember our Lord in, in sacrifice that we can alter that? We also have instructions about we're to give. When we come together, we're to give. I tell you, there's not one church that misses that one, right? In fact, they'll come and do it a couple times. Come back tonight, and you have another opportunity to give. Come back Wednesday night, midweek service, you have another chance to give. They'll pass. They'll pass the plates on that every time. So, 
that's a really easy example, at least for me to see, because I've, uh, I'm familiar with a lot of, of different, I'll, I'll say, churches, whatever faith they hold. That's a fairly common theme: is is not partaking of of a communion each first day of the week to observe the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> So when we look at this, <clears throat> one thing in the severity and curse would be, right, if we're looking at, we're going to study these two things, the goodness and blessing and severity and curse, we see many dab and vahu. Alright? <clears throat> on those who obey, goodness. On those who disobey, severity. And this would be an example of severity. Alright. So after a year hanging around the mountain, uh, they eventually head to the uh, promised land we know near the, uh, near the Jordan uh, River. Uh, it was a great land. It was a wonderful land, lush, full of produce, we know. Um, and we know the stories. What had happened, they had sent 12 spies into this land. And God had promised them and told them to, I want you to go take this land. So what happens? We know a lot of the story. They spied. They sent 12 spies in as God had promised. He said, I want you to go and take, uh, take this land. They spied out the land for... What do you say? When they came back, they had a lot of grapes. We remember we've seen uh, images of that. Uh, the grapes were so large they they had to carry it on a pole between two people. So we know it was a wonderful land. A lot of reasons that God probably wanted them to be over there. How did they solve one problem? Remember what that problem was? They were giants, <laughs> right? So all the spies come back. Ten of the spies we know said, we can't take that land. Are you kidding? But there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, yes, we can. And why? What was the answer? Because God is on our side. He's commanded us to do that. We're going to obey. We're going to trust that he is on our side. And so ultimately we know the people agreed um, with the ten spies. And so God cursed them. Uh, for not trusting him. And we read an uh, example of that here. We read about this in Numbers uh, 14. The carcasses of which you have complained uh, against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. So, so if you go roughly, here's the basis of that. You're going to go run around the desert 40 years, one day, uh, one year for each day, the spies were in Canaan until all the uh, adults over 20 years, except for Joshua and Caleb, would be dead. They just wander around here and die. So, <clears throat> if we go back to our goodness and blessing uh, and severity and curse, we see Nadab and Abihu and the uh, uh, faithless Israel, and then we see Joshua and Caleb uh, receiving that of the goodness and blessings because um, we did, they simply did what God had asked. You know, never has God before really destroyed uh, good with evil. God always saves the righteous when he destroys the wicked. He always provides a way of escape uh, from his severity if we'll look for it. People that do that, uh, do what he asks them to do, they will always escape 
severity. And that, that would still apply uh, today. So after 40 years, Moses hands the reins over to Joshua. They head to Jericho. <coughs> and we're familiar probably with this image here of, of where this is going. Uh, we see a man picking up sticks, right? Let's read Numbers 15. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So right before they go in, they catch us as we picking up sticks. Um, what do we remember uh, about these commandments? They contain a law about the Sabbath, right? Well, one of the laws also say, associated with the Sabbath was you were not to do work on the Sabbath. So they catch this guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath. What do they do? They go throw him in a, a jail. Uh, they arrest him, go throw him in a jail. And then they go and they ask Moses, what do you want us to do with him? And the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So, they see this man violating a, a rule of the Sabbath. Uh, they arrest him, throw him in jail. What do you want us to do with him? God, Moses goes and asks God. The simple answer is stoning. Right? Now, to us as Christians in today's world, with all the rules of law that we abide by, from law enforcement and all that, and all the evil things that we can see happen in this world, from murders to just bad things, right? On our basis as we understand things today, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? If we saw someone picking up sticks and broke the law, just says like, really? <laughs> Is God really that harsh on, dis on disobedience that someone who was just picking up sticks would be stoned to death? He didn't kill Abraham for lying about sin, David for adultery. So what was it that God would say, kill this guy? I mean, what's the harm? You could justify a lot of it. He might have been out picking up sticks to, to go cook with that day. It might have been cool temperatures. I want, I want wood so I can start a fire tonight for, for a family. We don't know why he was picking up sticks. My guess is, in his mind, he probably had a good reason, right? I, I doubt he was just out cleaning up the yard. <laughs> right? He was gathering sticks. The problem was, was what? It was prohibited on the Sabbath. And he knew the law. And so in that case, he knew the law, and it does not matter, he disobeyed. All right? Now, <clears throat> I can tell you, the old law was, was probably tough to follow. A lot of rules. I can't imagine, I don't know if there was a booklet of all 600-something laws that you had to constantly refer to. We can't imagine living under the, that type of thing probably today. But the re regardless is, he knew the law, and he disobeyed. So, one of the things here we also want to understand is the, the uh, importance of context and understanding the scriptures. And we won't spend a lot of, of time on this, but um, the context as it relates to uh, disobedience here is there is a difference in an in intentional wanton sin, right? The intentional, very, what we call rebellious sin, versus the unintentional. You didn't intend to do it. You may have missed the mark. You, you fell short. You were overtaken in a fault. Whatever that is, uh, sin, God treats failure sin differently than rebellious sin. All right? 
Numbers 15, 25, so the priests shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them. And we could go read a, a, another series of verses that really goes much more in depth on what he's talking about here. But the basis of it is what we refer to as unintentional sin. <clears throat> God forgives unintentional sin. Unintentional sin. Thank goodness we received that goodness from God today. You go on down later, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native, born, or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people because he despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. So again, we go back to why, why so to see the harm associated with, what was the harm in, in picking up sticks, God said to kill those in Israel who were uh, rebellious or presumptuous or defiant in sin. And then illustrate his teaching, tells them about catching this man picking up sticks and God saying, you know, kill him. That was the response. What do we do with this guy? Simple. Kill him. He broke the law. Right? So, God shows the difference between intentional and unintentional sin and, and man uh, who sins ignorantly through God's goodness, God gives us the opportunity to repent. Man who sins intentionally or presumptuously, we ultimately see God's severity. All right. <clears throat> so they finally make it on their way to Jericho. And we, we're going to uh, conclude with this portion of story, uh, some of the stories that that we're uh, we're reading in this in this first part of the Old Testament law. But what we know is God said, "Here's the plan. I want you to go take the city of Jericho." Right. So again, this is a depiction, but the the, the image here is what do you see there? A, diff a very different city than we'd see today. Right. For the most part, the city had great protection. Right? It had a walls, it was a fortress, there was a city, there's buildings and residences and workplaces and rest, whatever it is that would make up a city, they're sitting within these fortress walls, right? And then there was gates that closed and protected the citizens of that from any kind of outside enemy. So if you really lived inside that city, you thought, a city, you thought, hey, I'm pretty safe um, from, from any kind of outside harm. Well, then I'll go back to where I grew up. I grew up in Louisiana, about a quarter mile from the uh, north gate entry of Barksdale Air Force Base. <laughs> I don't know if any of y'all are associated uh, in the military or been to that base. I got to see a lot of things there from the shuttles land and presidents come in because it was the third largest air base in the United States. And it was in our backyard. So what I got to see growing up was what a lot of y'all would probably think was a war theater, <laughs> right? From the smallest of the attack planes, A-4s, A-10s, on up into the B-1s, B-17s, uh, the C-130s, uh, the cargo planes, the KC-135s, the refuelers, uh, on up into the uh, uh, F-planes, the fighter jets, F-15s, and all those different things. Spy planes, I got to watch them fly around all the time. You know, I remember the first time Rebecca, I think, went to one of our high school reunions. We were out and at a game, and she was like, is that plane about to crash? I was like, no, there's a base right over there. Because <laughs> there's, well, you know, so what, what a lot of people think of as an air show, 
today I, that we get to see on a regular basis and almost to the point you forget about it. Helicopters, tanks, I, we would often see, now again, I grew up in a different, little different wartime. Uh, uh, we didn't have all the uh, technology of Fox News and all that to tell you what was happening, so we'd sometimes be seeing two-mile convoys heading out, right? Helicopter or, or any kind of ground equipment. We would also see, uh, there was the days of, uh, what do they call it, strategic, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, SAC command, strategic air command. That was when our planes were loaded down with nuclear on the ground, and the fear, they'd have to get them up off the ground. All that told us was, I don't know why those B-52s are taking off that we know are nuclear loaded, but they're getting up in the air for a reason, what's happening, right? So, while we felt safe by being their base, we also felt like, ooh, we're kind of clearing their base. <laughs> That's a lot of things going on, right? What's happening in the world? So, <clears throat> what, we, what we see here is within this city, uh, that, that we would see uh, by their standards, they thought they were very safe. We were reading Joshua 6. God says, you're going to go take this city, and here's how you're going to do it. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. You shall do this for six days. You're going to march, go around six on Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams and horns before the ark. So you're going to go march around the city, go home. March around the city, go home. Do that for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to go march around the city seven times, and the priests are going to blow their horns and their trumpets, and they're going to shout with a great noise, right? And what was there to happen, right? The walls will fall. So here is this great city of protection that God says, I want you to go take the city, this fortress city, you're going to go do these simple things, and what's going to happen is the walls are going to fall. I can tell you, uh, just again, because a lot of, most of us in this room would look back and think about Iraq and Afghanistan. The, hundred out, the, the, awe, the uh, war, the shock and awe, right? A lot of guys I went to high school with flew in that. Flew with 52s of Dazzler pilots when I was in school. A lot of them flew in that. They said it was a tremendous theater. They said we were more worried about ourselves running into each other. The great get in and get out, get in. We were we were just relentlessly hitting them with stuff, right? That's the way we would think about a war and going and taking a city. These people had spears and swords and rocks and stuff like that. They didn't have the armament like we have today. So to us. When we think about this, we would say, you can't win a war like this. And there has never been another war fought like this and won like this, right? Another city taken. When we came in as our American military, it was a pretty quick deal, but we did it in a very tip different way. We didn't send all these stuff fighter planes and, and soldiers in. And so in our minds, we would say, that doesn't make sense at all, right? That's just not logical. So what lesson can we again get from that? When we look and we see a story like this and it almost seems like a story of fable, that's cool, that probably didn't really happen like that. No, it happened. Right? It really happened. We can't imagine that because we use our logic and not God's logic. So one of the lessons we can learn from when we read these stories, our logic, is not the same as God's logic. It can't be our ultimate guide because God's logic far out exceeds our logic. He, we know, he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we look at this 
we don't understand it, but as Christians, we can accept and trust that happened. Right? So it doesn't make sense to fight a war like this. Uh, we would, again, back up, and the non-Christians say, surely that didn't happen. You can't win a war by going around and marching around Syria and blowing horns because it just doesn't sound reasonable. What we also can remember is God said what he meant, meant what he said, and, when we, and he always knows best. And when we read these things, and therefore I learn, and we go back to that original scripture, why were these things written? For our learning. For our, written, uh, for our learning and for our understanding. And so today these same things apply when again we go back and we look at the goodness and the blessing and the severity and the curse that was delivered with Mary, Dad, and Abihu and the faithless Israel and Joshua Cable, uh, and and then seeing how God uh, was uh, allowed these people to take this city. So eventually Joshua and Israel were blessed because they did what uh, God said to do. Israel was later uh, set up as a faithful nation, and we know after that he gave them judges for some 450 years uh, until Samuel the prophet. And uh, with that came judges, much like we think of probably our court systems today. Uh, and I will say that that's where we'll end today, and that's where Dusty will hopefully pick up next week, and he's going to make up a lot of ground uh, to get us to the book of Malachi um, by next week. And then we'll be on into uh, the next uh, this age of dispensation. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll close uh, our services. If there's anything that uh, we can do as a church, we ask you to use this time as we stand and sing to come up for the church and let your wishes be known.